Okay, without further ado, let's, uh, let's continue our series. We're in Acts chapter 18 today. Do turn there. Um, we'll be going through it uh, verse by verse, um, especially the first few verses, and then later on in chapter 18 as well. Um, just by way of context, I wonder for you, what, um, what would you say is your purpose in life? To, yeah. It was a rhetorical question. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, what's your purpose in life? Um, what, what's your desire? What gets you up in the morning? What is your, what's your heart energized to do? What would you say that if you're a Christian, God has put you on this earth to do? What gets your heart ticking? You know, when you hear something, maybe a vision, and you think, yeah, that's, that's what I've got a heart for. I, I, I love that. I want to give myself to that. Maybe you're in a season of life where you think, oh, I've got no idea. I actually feel quite low about it. I actually feel a sense of I'm not sure what my purpose is in life. Here in chapter 18, we read about a wonderful couple, Priscilla and Aquila. And these are a couple of people, a man and a woman, who are devoted to God's mission, to God's purposes on earth. And as we go through, we're going to see that they gave themselves to God. Heart, body, soul, mind, finances, everything to God's purposes. And we will see that God's purposes are the best purposes to live for, to give ourselves to Jesus, we do pray that you'd stir our hearts for your mission, that you'd stir our hearts for your purposes on earth. Lord, we can be so, so lazy or so apathetic at times. We can go running after other things so often. Jesus, please stir our hearts. Give us fresh vision, fresh faith, fresh devotion for you, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Okay, chapter 18 of Acts Verse 1. After this, so Paul's just been in Athens. He's been preaching in the Areopagus. He's been telling people about Jesus. After this, Paul left Athens and he went to Corinth. So Paul is on a, a missionary journey. He's moving around places, planting churches, telling people about Jesus, strengthening other churches. And now he turns up in Corinth. And Paul wrote two letters to the church in Corinth that we've got in the New Testament. And in one of those, he says, I came to you in weakness, with great fear and trembling. This was how Paul turned up in Corinth. It wasn't as a super apostle. It wasn't as someone with necessarily huge amounts of like, yeah, let's just do this. We're going to carve this, this opportunity open. We're going to see masses of people saved. We're going to plant uh, a church. We're going to see, uh, you know, the broken, uh, healed, restored. He came in weakness with great fear and trembling. Paul hadn't been there before. It was new to him, new people, new opportunities. He didn't know how it was going to go. He had experience of being uh, mobbed and run out of places, being persecuted, whipped, beaten. 
This wasn't like a, a high life, like get the crusade going, it's going to be high upon high, you know, we're going to see amazing things. He came in fear and trembling. So he turns up in Corinth, says in verse 2, that there he met a Jew named Aquila. A native, that, that's the guy, by the way, sort of names it can be. A bit confusing as to who the guy is. But anyway, Aquila, a native of Pontus, who had recently come from Italy with his wife, Priscilla, because Claudius had ordered all Jews to leave Rome. So this is the context. Paul's there, and he meets this couple, Priscilla and Aquila. They are Jews. They're natives of a place called Pontus, but they were living in Rome. Rome was besieged, really, by, uh, as in the Christians were being persecuted. There was blood on the streets of Rome. Regular uh, beatings, persecutions, killings. The emperor was just using Christians as, as sort of play, uh, people to play with, essentially. And it got to the point where it says there, doesn't it, that Claudius had ordered all Jews to leave Rome. He just wanted rid of this people. Get them out of my city. And Priscilla and Aquila, therefore, left their home, left their friends, left their family. They left everything that they knew, everything that they built up in terms of relational connections, in terms of work. Um, it, they just had to leave everything and start again. So, we see that they were in Pontus originally. They were in Rome. Now they're in Corinth. We see later that they were also in Ephesus and that they went back to Rome. And you see again and again, because they're mentioned numbers of times in the New Testament, actually wherever they went, they gave themselves to the mission. And they saw themselves as God's commissioned citizens. That their lives were not their own. And that they were about a greater purpose. They weren't about a comfortable life, an easy life. They were about God's purposes on earth. So they recognized that their citizenship first and foremost was in heaven. They were living for a king. And they knew that their eternal home was their true home. And that their home here really just to serve God's purposes. There's a letter that was written in the second century by a guy called Mathetes to Diognetus. And it's said of Christians that they live in their own countries, but only as non-residents. They participate in everything as citizens and endure everything as foreigners. Every foreign country is their fatherland, and every fatherland is foreign. They lived for a different king, with their hearts set on a different place where God ruled and reigned. But they gave themselves to the here and now, to God's mission. In our increasingly uh, transient society with an ear, uh, just a, uh, this sense of ongoing cultural change, and it's rapid, it's, it's, each year seems to bring with it further developments in terms of our culture. We must Remain true to our King, recognizing that we are His, we're His children, we're members of Christ, we're adopted as His own, we live for Him. 
As everything around us changes, maybe like Priscilla and Aquila, our, our home changes or our job changes or just everything gets taken away from us and we, we don't know which way is up. Our citizenship is in heaven and we live for Jesus in the opportunities that he brings before us in whatever we have or don't have. Let's live for Jesus We don't have to wait for things to be perfect. We don't have to wait for the house to be sorted. We don't have to wait for that right person to come along. In the here and now, let's be commissioned citizens. And that great commission that Jesus gave us is to go and make disciples. It's better translated, as you go, make disciples. So whatever you do, wherever you go, wherever you are, whoever you're with, let's make disciples disciples. Okay, so let's look at how uh, Priscilla and Aquila, how did they outwork that commissioning? What did that look like for them? Let's read it in the second half of verse 2. It says that Paul went to see them, and because he was a tent maker as they were, he stayed and worked with them. So they opened up their home to Paul. That's the first point. They opened up their home. They opened up the space that they maybe called their own. They had moved into Corinth, set up home. Paul comes along, a weary traveler, and they say, come on in. Come on in. There's a place to stay here. Make yourself at home. This is the heart of the gospel. And Priscilla and Aquila had clearly had their hearts transformed by the gospel. The gospel is that God welcomes and welcomed us in as strangers. That when we were far from him, Jesus died for us. When we were rebellious, broken, giving of ourselves to other things and other other idols, maybe love, money, power, success, that God, in that moment, when we weren't even looking for him, died for us. Took on himself the sin of the world, our sin. Rose again to new life. Conquered Satan's sin and death to new life. He rules and reigns, and we as Christians rule and reign with him now. This is the gospel. It's the hospitality of God. It's God welcoming us into his family. It's Jesus, the groom making us, the church, his bride, beautiful and ready for him for the great wedding feast. It's beautiful. He welcomes us in. He makes sure there's going to be good wine, good meat, maybe. We'll see. (laughs) We shall see. There'll be good food. It'll be a glorious banquet. There'll be Jesus there. We as the bride will look at him and go, yes. For eternity, we are united to you. This is the gospel, the hospitality of God. It's wonderful. And Priscilla and Aquila had dwelt on it. They'd let their hearts be changed by that. They hadn't remained hard to it, as maybe we can be. Let's spend time dwelling on the hospitality of God. And I think it leads us to open up our lives, our very hearts, because we're, we're then not trying to hide anything. We're not trying to keep anything back because we recognize we're sinners who have been welcomed in by a loving God. 
So if that's the case and we believe that, why are we trying to hide our sin? Why are we trying to hide the secrets in our lives? Why are we not choosing to live in the light? The more we believe in the hospitality of God, the more we will open up our hearts, be transparent, we'll be at ease, we'll welcome people into our homes and our lives and the mess of our lives. So they welcomed them in. We talk about and have talked about for a little while now, this deal of round the table. It's communicating this sense of hospitality, of having one another in our homes, eating together, being together, spending time together. We can do this as life groups, eat together. Just can be simple. For our life group, uh, usually it's bring and share. Someone bring the vegetables. Someone bring the main. Someone bring dessert. Please, someone bring dessert. You know, it's just so good, isn't it, at the end of the night, just to eat together. So good. We share life together around the table. Just be simple. A couple of weeks ago, it was chips. Fish and chips. Someone grabbed it on the way. We ate together. It's a priority for us. Have friends around who don't know Jesus. Invite your neighbors around. Open up your homes to them. Look for opportunities to do that with others. If you're maybe a student and you, you just think, oh, I haven't really got a home, do it with others. Do it with your life group. Do it with friends. Welcome people into those contexts that you can. In a couple of weeks' time, Liverpool are in the Champions League final. Whoop, whoop. Yes, thank you very much. We did win last night, if you follow football as well. Um, me and Seth went to watch it at the pub. First football game he's, he's watched at the pub, so that was great um, uh, to be with him and watch that. Um, but anyway, looking forward to a couple of weeks' time, inviting some people in the community round to watch the football. I'm sure there'll be some nachos and some good drink. Uh, time together, a good opportunity to be with people in the community. I'm sure you'll be able to find other ways, maybe things that you can connect with others uh, over. Okay, so they opened up their home. They not only did that, but they also went a little bit further. It says there that he stayed and worked with them. So this relationship between Priscilla, Aquila, and Paul, it starts to develop. Not only do they welcome him into their home, but they say, yeah, come and work with us. Come and be with us. They were probably together most of the time. A lot of sewing, a lot of cutting of fabric. You can imagine them praying together, laughing together, being together, making plans together for God's purposes, dreaming together. You can imagine Luke, who, who wrote Acts, was probably in the mix there, the physician probably with them, looking after them. Wonderful relationships. Um, Paul writes to Timothy. Timothy's in Ephesus, and that's where Priscilla and Aquila end up next. And Paul says, greet Priscilla and Aquila. Paul doesn't want them to think, oh, he's forgotten me. He loves them. Paul loves them. They're developing this wonderful relationship, and it obviously continues when uh, Paul is writing to the church in Rome where Priscilla and Aquila turn up again. Um, it says, Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my co-workers in Christ Jesus. They risked their lives for me, 
not only I, but all the churches of the Gentiles are grateful for them. These are not just friends of Paul, they're co-workers in the gospel. That's the next point. They enabled mission. They enabled mission by simply opening up their home, opening up their lives, enabling Paul to work with them. They enabled mission. And I think of it like scaffolding. This is what Priscilla and Aquila did. It's like scaffolding. So last year, uh, we had to get all our gutters, fascias, soffits replaced in our house. So they put up scaffolding. It enabled the workers to get to places that they couldn't previously get to. That's what it looks like to be scaffolding in the kingdom of God. It enables others to get to places and do things that they couldn't otherwise do. So Priscilla and Aquila here, they actually enabled Paul to get out into the synagogues, get out into the open places and preach the gospel. Though Priscilla and Aquila, they weren't particularly doing that. They were quite quiet. Actually. They, were, they did a lot of stuff in their homes. They did a lot of stuff in, in private supporting Christians, enabling Christians, but they enabled Paul to get out there and preach the gospel. They were scaffolding. So here's the question for us. How can we be scaffolding for others? I wonder what that looks like for you in your life. We've talked about opening up our homes. That's one way. Another way is to support the church financially in its mission to the world. You guys faithfully give. I want to encourage you and commend you in that. I know for some, money is squeezed at the moment. Fuel bills going up, food bills going up. Hard to see, will I have enough? Let me encourage you, as God does, be faithful in the little. God will use it. He'll multiply it. He's got greater purposes and plans for our money than we have. He'll use it. Be faithful in the little. For others, as I was prepping, I just felt a sense of wanting to encourage those of us who are able to make money and and make a lot of it, and maybe don't spend a huge amount or have a lot left over, Do that for God's kingdom. Do it for his purposes. Don't do it to be successful. Don't do it to get up the career ladder. Don't do it to be comfortable. Do it for God's kingdom purposes. This is what it looks like to live for Jesus, to be commissioned citizens. Our money, the money that we give to the church, it supports us as pastors to be able to pastor you and encourage you. But over and above that, enables us to reach out in mission, to reach out into these neighborhoods. To, we planted City West. We needed money to do it. We planted Mile Cross. We needed money to do that. We're reaching into pouring land. It takes money to do that. We've been releasing Toby, uh, Skipper, one of the elders at City Center, to support and strengthen the church in Lowestoft. We've been supporting for the last few years in Beckles, James, and the team there. James was here last week, preached to us, served us really well. We've been able to support uh, them. In a week's time, I'm off to Poland to a conference, uh, going with a relational mission uh, team just to serve those guys um, and help them in any way I can. Uh, But we're looking for opportunities to link with other churches, other leaders across Europe, 
um, and to draw them into relational mission. The conference has said, look, come along, Relational Mission. You're a great family of churches. We love you. Come along and connect with others. Our giving enables this mission. Well done. Your, your money, do you know, often it can be like, oh, you press a button and it's gone, or you've set up a direct debit and you don't really think about it again. Know that it's going to the mission of God in Norwich and further afield. God is using it. So we can open up our home, we can support financially, uh, we can keep in touch with and pray for people, our friends who have gone out on mission further afield. And you guys might have personal friends that maybe you've connected with over the years. I want to encourage you to keep praying for Ben and Sarah Coleman. So we sent them out uh, in January to Frankfurt. Been setting up home, uh, getting a job. It's just been amazing. Uh, Sarah's been connecting in with the church and helping with a baby and toddler group there. They've been getting plugged in. But they've hit a few uh, snags, a few things that they would love us to pray for. Uh, the main thing is that most of their stuff is still in England. Okay. <laughs> it's a big thing. They basically had three months in temporary accommodation. They were then going to move into uh, a permanent place for the foreseeable future. Um, the delivery company basically has not delivered the stuff on time, so they've had to move into another place, just totally temporary. It's a studio apartment, and they've got a one-year-old, so everything's in one room. So as a parent, I'm like, what? So you put Ava to bed, and then it's like lights off, and, and Ben and Sarah are just sitting there. Don't make a noise. It's can't, like, I don't know what they're doing anyway on the evenings, but they need our support in prayer. Let's be praying for them. Let's pray for this delivery company to get the stuff over to them. Let's pray for Ben. Apparently, the job is super intense, like really taking his time, just getting up to speed with it. But his heart is to give himself to the church, to the mission of God there. Let's pray for these guys. Let's reach out to them. If you know them, drop them a text, drop them a call, set up a video call. I'm sure they'd love to hear from you. Okay. This is what it looks like to be scaffolding for others. Enabling mission. It's what Priscilla and Aquila did so, so well. Just in the background. Enabled others in mission. Played their part in the mission. Priscilla and Aquila, they, you know, they, they do pop up again and again. But I think the, the heartbeat of their lives and people that would have known them would have probably just seen them as faithful servers who just gave what they had, but God used it and did wonderful things. The final thing that they did, so we've looked at, um, obviously, Priscilla and Aquila opening up their home, enabling mission. Thirdly, and we will skip through to verse 24 now, is that they protected the gospel. They protected the gospel. Let's read verse 24 to 26. Meanwhile, okay, so they're in Ephesus now. They've moved on to Ephesus. Meanwhile, a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was a learned man with a thorough knowledge of the scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and he spoke with great fervor and taught about Jesus accurately, though he knew only the baptism of John. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue. When Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they invited him to their home and explained to him the way of God more adequately. 
when I sort of first read this, I was like, this guy, Apollos, seems to be on it. Like he's, he seems to be doing well. He's a learned man, thorough knowledge of the scriptures. He's been instructing the way of the Lord, spoke with great fervor, taught Jesus accurately. And yet Priscilla and Aquila, when they heard him, they invited him to their home and explained to him the way of God more accurately, adequately. There was obviously something about Apollos' understanding of the gospel that needed some correction. And Apollos welcomes it. Apollos was happy being corrected. He, he had a misunderstanding of the gospel. And obviously, as a, a, someone who loved Jesus and wanted to serve him, wanted his understanding of the gospel to be correct. So he welcomed the correction. He goes on to be sent out to preach the gospel in other places. The community there send him out. So he didn't just take it badly and go, oh, stuff you, I'm going somewhere else. <laughs> like, he welcomed it in. And Priscilla and Aquila were part of that. They understood the gospel and they served Apollos really well in it. So they protected the gospel. I want to encourage us that we are all responsible for this. If you love and follow Jesus, part of this church family, that we are all responsible for protecting the gospel. Priscilla and Aquila, they weren't elders in the church. They weren't necessarily leaders per se in terms of an upfront ministry. And yet they took responsibility for the gospel. They saw the gospel had gone slightly awry in Apollos' life. So they just, they invited him into their home, just a non-offensive like, atmosphere, non-threatening, and they chatted to Apollos. I don't know if Apollos was a bit offended that it made it into the Bible, but um, all the same, he took it well. Do you know the gospel? Do you know the gospel? Would you be able to spot a false gospel? That's a challenging question. And these aren't questions to trip you up or anything. Just an encouragement. Let's be people of the Bible. Let's be people of God's word. Let's know it. Let's encourage others in it. It's hard to overestimate, actually, in our day, the importance of knowing the gospel. It's hard to overestimate it. In a day where we've got access to a whole plethora of different types of teaching out there, YouTube, blogs, books, we can access any form of teaching. Some of it's great, and we would encourage it and say, yeah, love that. We think that's biblical, that's great. A whole host of it, heretical, just terrible. The problem is if we don't know the gospel, if we're not reading our Bibles, but we're just consuming this stuff, we just take it in. Because some of these people are so persuasive. They're, they're more charismatic than me. They're, they're more persuasive than me. And we can watch them and read them and go, yeah, oh, yeah, love that. That makes sense. Oh, yeah, I've been thinking that. Or, yeah, culture says that, and I've been thinking about that. And that would fit in. I could, I could fit with that. If we're not reading our Bibles... We can't make constructive, uh, we, can't, what's the, we can't sort of critique it against the Bible. And yet that's what we need to do. Let's know 
Let's know the gospel. Let's know God's word. Let's be hungry for it. We will have this responsibility to it. Paul said to Timothy, when he wrote to him, he said, Timothy, guard what has been entrusted to your care. Guard what has been entrusted to your care. Almost like a soldier ready for battle. He's not just going to let loads of false doctrines come in. Paul said to Timothy, stay in Ephesus. Make sure that false gospels don't get in. There'll be other teachers coming in, trying to persuade people, trying to set you off on a different course. Don't let them. Guard what has been entrusted to your care. Turn away from godless chatter and the opposing ideas of what is falsely called knowledge. Let's be a people who, are, who know the gospel and are ready and welcome to correction. As elders, if we preach something <laughs> that is not the gospel, you need to speak to us. Please, we'd urge you. We all have a responsibility. If you're in life group and you just hear something, and you know, you're just like, that's, that's not right. Talk to the person. You know, don't make it a big deal necessarily then. <laughs> like, don't jump on them, but maybe talk to them afterwards. Let's guard the gospel. Let's be people of God's word. Let's love one another. Do it in love and grace, in kindness. Do it to win the person, not to win the argument. Let's love one another. Priscilla and Aquila, wonderful couple, faithful couple, gave their lives to Jesus, served him. Let's be a community like them who faithfully serve, faithfully use our gifts, faithfully use our resources, whether that's homes or finances or resources in other ways, for God's purposes, for his mission. We do it together. We're not individuals in this. I've loved doing Alpha as our life group. It's been great doing it together. I'd say evangelism is one of my gifts. But I know in the group, not everyone's an evangelist, but we get the opportunity together to witness to what Jesus has done in our lives. It's been great to see people doing that. We do it together, encouraging one another. Let's stand. Much of this, I think, we will work out in our life groups. Just working out what it looks like in our individual lives. Have conversations with friends, with family. What does it look like? How can I use what I've got? Stir one another. Provoke one another. Let's keep the hospitality of God at the center of everything we do. Jesus died for us. Where while we were yet sinners... While we were far from him, all of our motivation for mission must come out of a changed heart, a new heart that Jesus has given us, new desires to love and show compassion and kindness to others. Jesus, we thank you so much for your gospel. It is the best thing ever. And we love you. We love you. You've given us you. 
We love you so much. And we are so looking forward to that wedding supper of the Lamb, the wedding feast, the wedding banquet. We are so looking forward to it. It's going to be amazing. (laughs) You will have wiped away every tear. You'll have healed up the brokenhearted. We'll be there in joyful celebration. And we'll see you face to face. The beautiful groom, the wonderful groom to behold in all of his glory, all of his majesty. Worthy is the lamb that was slain. Worthy are you. Jesus, we love you so much. Please transform our hearts. Jesus, that apathy, that laziness, that that fear, that anxiety that can get into witness. Lord, we want to we serve you well. We want to see the lost saved. We want to see people baptized. We want to see the broken hearts healed. We want to see relationships reconciled. We pray, please lead us, stir us, provoke us, empower us. We need you, Jesus. Amen.